You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Michigan Life Outdoor Podcast. I hope you guys are all doing well out there. You know, whatever that is, you're doing this time of year here in winter, midwinter of Michigan. Um, you know, you got some ice fishing, some some predator hunting. You know, it's Michigan winter, everybody. Hope you guys are enjoying it. Anyways, on this podcast, it's a special podcast because I sit down with my dad, my brother, and my grandpa. And it's kind of cool because we talk about how hunting got started in our family. And we somehow got my grandpa to agree to sit down, try to describe to him or tell him what a podcast was or is, and put a microphone in front of his face. And I thought he did a pretty damn good job. And the cool part about it is you kind of hear, you know, my great grandpa, how he got started back in the late 18, early 1900s into hunting. And we describe what hunting was like back then, or grandpa describes what it was like, how he got introduced. And my dad talks about how he got introduced from grandpa and then Chad and I chime in on, you know, on our experience with hunting. Um, anyways, uh, Chad also gives a great um, timeline on the wildlife population, specifically the white-tailed deer in Michigan, um, starting in the late 1800s, how it changed throughout the 1900s uh, with its peaks and valleys. And yeah, this is a great historical, informative podcast for you. So yeah, here we all are. I'm gonna just record. Just record the whole. Yeah, time. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm. I'm gonna put this on the internet. Are you cool with that? Yeah. I mean, anybody that wants to listen to it. Yeah. Just well, don't give away your hunting spots. You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> we don't gotta have you sign off too. Yeah. Don't tell anybody where you hunt, Grandpa. <laughs> okay. I want to welcome everybody to the podcast. This is. Uh, this is a unique event. We are sitting down, or I'm sitting down here with a couple generational clinos. We have my grandpa. Harold Kleinel here to my left. Uh, across the table from me is my brother, Chad Kleinel. And to my right is my my dad, Dan. And uh, we wanted to get together tonight because, well, it's something we always talked about is at deer camp or if we're sitting around the fire with grandpa and things like that, we always like reminisce and talk about stories from, um, you know, grandpa growing up and how deer hunting has changed over the years. And, and, and Chad kind of put together a list of things and, topics and things like that to talk about so we're going to go through that we hope you guys find this beneficial and uh, any michigander listening to this it's going to be pretty cool and interesting to kind of go back in time to hear how deer hunting has changed over the years we have plenty of beer and whiskey so we're just going to talk so yeah with that with that chad kick it off and kind of like what you want to talk about yeah i thought i'd start first just by stating my reason for wanting to record this podcast um, as we were talking before the, the mics were on, um, Lee and I have been going up to deer camp 
for 20 some years now and it's something that's a big tradition and important to us Mm -hmm. and i was thinking about why do i value that time up there with you and you grandpa and really it's my way to do something that we all love and talk about it but then also i didn't know great grandpa and his traditions that he started with the deer hunting and it's my way to kind of connect and hear those stories and understand what deer hunting was like 30 50 70 years ago versus how it's changed today yeah so uh, so why don't we do this why don't we get grandpa can you give us a brief history or a background on great grandpa like when he was born where just very quickly like where he kind of hunted or what year you remember him hunting all that kind of stuff and you can just kind of breeze through it just give us the cliff notes well, he was born in 1886 and uh he never got married until he was 37 years old <laughs> and uh so that would have been 1920s but he hunted uh it started hunting at uh his early age when i don't know for sure but he hunted all his life, so, and most of the time, time he hunted that back then was across the streets because uh, there was hardly no deer in the lower peninsula. Yeah. So, uh, what I know of is he mostly hunted across the streets. So, you think he hunted in the early 1900s then? So, when he was in his 20s, you think he was hunting? Well, he uh, see you couldn't get across the streets. They did. I think it was 1930, 1927, that the first ferry opened up to take hunters across the straits. Across Mackinac, and yeah. I, that's the year he got that big buck. So, so I think that's why he went that year because he took the ferry was there to cross. So who do you think taught him to hunt? So what I'd like to get to is where did the Klino hunting tradition start? To tell you the truth, I really don't know if uh, his, his dad hunted. So his dad hunted. So you remember him talking about his dad he, he mentioned it, but nothing big like we are today. Okay. Because, like, you know, there was so hard to get across the street, you got to remember for him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and a, a dad and up there, when they did go across the streets, um, where'd they stay at? Because it was all, it was nothing but lumber, taking lumberjacks out there. And well, see, the lumber uh, companies up there in the wintertime, the snow was so deep that they, uh, you know, they didn't do that much cutting and they stayed in those lumber camps. They give him a place to sleep, and they fed him. When he got this big buck in 1923, that's he was staying in a lumber camp. Okay. So I guess we credit great grandpa for starting the hunting tradition that our family still does today, right? So, I would say yeah. So in the 1920s, how rare would it have been to see a deer in the Lower Peninsula? Like you didn't see him back. Like grandpa never really seen many deer in the Lower Peninsula back then. I don't think he's seen any. Wow. Yeah. So there that, was no there was no deer here when he was, you know, uh, I forgot how old he was when he passed. But uh, I didn't see no deer here until 
I'd say I was close to 30. Wow. So that would probably was still the after effect of the over hunting in the in the late 1800s, yeah. right? Probably. Yeah. I mean, there's must have been white-tailed deer down here in the 1800s. We know that, but the over hunting that they talk about that in the early 1900s is probably the effect that you're hearing why grandpa and you know great grandpa didn't see any deer in the Lower Peninsula. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did a quick research on the internet, just trying to get some history on white-tailed deer, deer in Michigan. And some of these facts blew my mind. So let's go through some trivia. I think this is going to be neat. And then we'll jump back into great grandpa and some of his stories. Um, so in the early 1800s, when the European settlers came, the southern part of the lower peninsula was mostly prairies and open areas. So it wasn't heavily wooded like it was in northern Michigan and the UP. So when they came, actually, the ideal habitat that supported the wild animals in this area was those prairies and there was white-tailed deer and elk down in the lower part of the Southern Peninsula. And then as you got into the Northern Lower Peninsula, the dense forests where all the old growth was, there was actually caribou and moose was the dominant species. What year was this? This is early 1800s, late 1700s. All right. so then you get into the 1800s and settlers moved in there was no restrictions on hunting you could shoot whatever you want and the first wild animals to really take a hit was the white-tailed deer and the elk in southern michigan because that's where they settled first and uh, they actually extinct the elk in 1870 so the last elk in michigan at least in the Southern Peninsula, went extinct. And there was very few white-tailed deer by 1870. Um, So then you get into the late 1800s, and now everybody is moving north in the Lower Peninsula, which would be where we hunt, up near Hawks, Rogers City. And that's where they're clearing the old growth forest. So now they're cutting the wood and logging Um, a lot of the timber off and when they logged it off all that new growth came up opened up the canopy and the wild white-tailed deer population just took off so they wiped it out in southern michigan and then it took off in the late 1800s in the upper part of the lower peninsula once they cut and all that canopy came up for food okay so the the population of white-tailed deer in 1880 in upper michigan was one million and venison was the primary source of protein for lumber camps. And they actually hired professional hunters to come in and shoot deer to supply food, venison, for the lumber camps. The workers. The workers, right, right. So um, then the deer got overhunted in the upper part of Michigan because everybody was going up there to hunt. And then by the late 1800s um, the population came way back down again and in 1881 they shortened the deer season from seven months to five months oh so what is it now we got october november december jan so we three got months three months three months went from seven to five and seven to five and now we're at today we're at, it's at three yep Um, Then in 1887, the Michigan DNR was established. Um, 
and they shrunk the hunting season even further down to just the month of November, November 1st to the 25th. And in 1895 was the first hunting license. You had to get a hunting license to shoot a deer. So before that, it was, you know, anybody could shoot during the, the normal season. So take a guess as to what the first hunting license cost in 1895. 50 cents. Can you see this from over there? <laughs> 50 cents. <laughs> that's what the guess, first, man, that's how old you are. That's what the first hunting license cost. Yep, yep. So that's 1895. Um, and then as you get into the 1900s, they realized without any bag limits, um, well, actually, 1895, they had a five-deer limit, and they were still shooting deer faster than the population was growing. So 1901, they dropped it to three. 1905, they dropped it to two. In 1914, they dropped it to one deer per hunter. Um, so you heard me mention that the population of deer in Upper Michigan was 1 million in 1880. So fast forward 30 years, 1914 roughly, how many deer do you think were in Michigan? Went from 1 million to what in the upper part of Michigan? 1 million gifts. I, I would say a hundred, hundred deer, hundred thousand. You, you said you said he had a million, million, million. Yeah, well, it was a million in the eighteen hundreds, late eighteen hundreds. Then yeah. it went down because they started overhunting, right? And they were shrinking the season, trying to get the deer to come back, mm -hmm. and they were making you buy a license to try to get the deer to came come back. And they took the bag limit from five to three to two to one. And in nineteen fourteen, the deer population. This says the entire state was 45,000. So hunters wiped out the white-tailed deer from over a million to 45,000 in 30 years, which is just crazy to me. Um, 1918, they reintroduced elk back to northern Michigan. There were seven elk that were planted, and I think those were actually western species elk. So those elk, Rocky Mountain elk. Yeah, so the elk that are in Michigan today, which we should get to that story about your elk that you shot, um, were planted in 1918. So all the elk today stem from those first seven. And that herd sits around anywhere between like 1,100 to 1,500 in northern Michigan right now. Okay. Just so you know. Yeah. So that's that's pretty big. So they they kept shrinking the, the season and, and getting more strict. So 1920, one-third of the state was actually closed to deer hunting because there were so few deer. Um, Do you remember that? No, but uh, not actually, but Chuck Rohde, you know, he talked about it, that his dad, of course he was a young kid, but his dad, I forgot what year it was, it must be what you're talking, that if they seen a deer, they took the dog and tracked it until they got it. That's how scarce they was. Yeah. And they wanted food. 45,000 deer in the whole state. Yeah, I can imagine it'd be hard to ever see one. If you saw one, you'd be lucky. Well, thinking of all the spots that they could hide them back, too, back then, too. I mean, yeah, the canopy opened up. Well, that, and it's just not as developed back then as it is today. So Right, right. I didn't realize this. Jumping back, sorry, I missed a stat. But in 1881, they changed how you could hunt deer because they used to hunt the settlers used to hunt with traps pitfalls which is just a hole a hole in the ground yeah. 
swimming deer. So they used to do a deer drive and they would drive them into the lakes and streams, get them swimming, and then they'd go out there with a boat and just shoot them, massacre them. Holy shit. Dogs and then lights shining, you know. So <laughs> oh 18, you know, prior to 1881, that's why you went from a million deer in Upper Michigan and they just kept getting wiped out down to 45,000 in 1914. What year was that, John? In 1881, they made it illegal to hunt deer using traps, pitfalls, deer pushes into water, dogs, and shining. Well, they got to stop and realize, you know, people depended on the game for something to eat. You yeah. know, things were different back then. They didn't have McDonald's. They, what? <laughs> they didn't have McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so there was probably there was probably a lot of families. They all winter long. They uh, fed you know deer. I would say, you know, oh, the sure. ones they could get. Oh, I'm sure. Well, how big was, like, I, I guess I don't know this, how big was, like, the domestic cattle industry in Michigan back then? I don't know. Like, is it was it common to have everyone to have steers back then? Like, can you remember Grandpa talking about that? I don't know. That's quite a wise bet. <laughs> yeah. It'd, I, pro it'd probably be more money, right, because you got to feed I'd the... I'd say some had them, but uh, you know, a lot of them couldn't afford them because... Right, that's what yeah. I'm saying, you couldn't afford that's it. That's the big thing, they couldn't afford it. Because you got to feed them, you got to have the land for them to graze. Yeah, I'm just trying to put it in perspective of, like, if you're thinking, like, oh, why didn't they just get steers back right. then? Everyone was just living on venison, which I don't even know what percentage of the population eat ven venison now, you know what I mean? Right. So. Right, right. Um, okay, just a couple more facts, and I'll, I'll get to the end of it here because I think we're going to start getting into the timeline when Great Grandpa was hunting. So they started clamping down um, in 1921. You could only shoot bucks, and this idea of the sacred doe concept came out, which w was essentially it was taboo or bad to shoot a doe if you were hunting, just because the population was so low. Um. The game wardens came around in 1928. So in 1930s, this is the key, 1930s is when the deer population finally started to take back off again. So after all these conservation efforts, the population started taking off. And the 1930s is when they say the first Michigan deer camps, as we know them today, started. And that was really driven by a couple things. One, good paying jobs. So at that point, I would think the Industrial Revolution is starting to take hold in Detroit with the automobile. Um, and people are making more money, cars are affordable, and people start buying hunting property and they're traveling and going up north to hunt. Um, so now you get to the late 40s, 1949, and the population um, that was at a million, went down to 40,000, 45,000, is now back up to one and a half million. In 49? In 1949. Okay. So Grandpa would have been hunting yeah. in the 40s. Well, we think he was hunting in the 20s, which in the 20s is not long after the population was down to 45,000. So if he got that big one in the 1920s, 23, he, yeah. he was probably famous. Yeah, it was a big rise up in the wind-up paper I told you about him. Yeah, and that was in the UP. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us that story about the 20s, how he would hunt, what he would do, how long he'd be gone, 
and the deer that he shot. Yeah. Talk about Grandpa, like, taking off. No, let me know. Yeah, you go ahead. Well, he used to, he was gone two months, but he took, a, I think, a streetcar or electric train up to Bay City, and then from there he got on the, there was the logging companies uh, hauling logs with horses up to the Mackinac uh, streets. And then he'd wait, that's when the ferry opened, and then he'd get on the ferry and go across, and then on the other side he'd get uh, on the logging company, the hauling logs, and uh, get a ride up to the camp and stay there. They took him and uh, let him stay in the logging camp and uh, sleep and feed him there for a price. I don't, I don't know how much, but then that's how he got that big buck up there do we know where in the up he went to or what uh, area no that's I okay where it was but how long would he be gone for from the time he left until the time he came back a little over two months and then once he got the deer he said the deer was froze for i think he said a month time he got back home <laughs> Because it took him just as long to get back home as it did to get up there. I got to tell this to my wife at home. I mean, two months yeah, gone for hunting. I mean, off. we need to get back to those times. <laughs> That's a hell of a rotation right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Grandpa, how long, just the journey to get up there, if you were to ballpark it, how long would it take him just to get up there? I'd say close to four weeks. Okay. He probably only hunted a week, so he was gone two months. So, you know, figure three and a half weeks to get there, and maybe three and a half weeks to get back. You know, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a long time ago when he told me all this. <laughs> Did we ever get Grandpa's deer scored? I don't think so. Any what? Did Grandpa's deer ever get scored? Yeah. Oh, we did. Yeah, it's in the record book. Okay, oh, okay. it is. Okay. So back then, is it on that plaque there, Dan? Oh yeah, there it is. And for all the listeners listening to this, I'll take a photo and post it on Instagram of what the deer looked like, uh, the buck that Grandpa got. So shot in 1923. The CBM score on that was 126 and three eighths uh, in Chippewa County in the UP. So taken by George Kleino Senior. Okay, so. Four weeks to get up there. He probably only hunted a week, shot the deer. Now he's got a okay. Talk about talk about how he his hunting tactics. Like what did he do? Did he just there wasn't no blinds back then for him to go into, right? No, God no. The snow back then probably was up there probably close to three feet. Right. So what did he do? Just find a trail, a deer trail, a game trail? They looked for where the trails was and dig a hole in the snow and put your feet down in it and sit there. <laughs> okay. And then we all have the same kind of getup or garment that Grandpa was would wear back then, which was a wool jacket, right? Yeah. Long underwear. Long underwear, wool jacket, long underwear, wool pants. And then some kind of, I'm sure, leather boot that probably wasn't the best insulated. You probably have to have some pretty thick wool socks under there. And then, do you know what he was hunting with? 
Was that the, the gun? Yeah. He had a 30 30 pump. 30 30 pump? Remington pump. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think it was a Model 90, maybe. Yeah. You and I had, had researched it that one time. You described it as like a bush yeah, was, gun, had a real short barrel because yeah, it was so thick up there. Well, you know, today people shoot quarter of a mile, but back then, you know, you got to remember that the woods was so thick that most places, and that's why everybody they had a brush gun. That's why the lever actions was always, you know, everybody had. So popular. Yeah. But the one my dad had that was a thirty thirty pump, and that was uh, called a brush gun, too, mm -hmm. because it was the barrel was short on it. Mm -hmm. well, was great-grandpa a farmer? Oh, yeah, he so, farmed all his life. So, you know, that worked out, too, right? He would do the harvest, and then he had yeah. a couple months to yeah. go hunting. Yeah. Well, anybody that, even later on, anybody that... Uh, hunted across the streets like regular people, you know, they figured on at least two weeks mm -hmm. because sometimes you'd sit there and uh, wait for the ferry. You might sit there all day to get across just before deer season. Mm. Can only imagine. What a different time. Okay. So Grandpa shoots his deer. Um, does he have any stories from camp of like what camp was like? Do you remember? Did he talk about that at all? I don't remember nothing from that, uh, Lee. Okay, so he grabs this deer, puts it back on a ferry to cross the straits. Still no bridge. Gets on the other side. Now he's putting it on his car to get. How's it? Talk about the journey back downstate then with the deer. Well, on the streetcar from Bay City. Okay. From the streets to Bay City, there was teams of horses, all logs. Okay. And they rode back on that to Bay City, and they come back on the. It's either a streetcar or they had electric trains going back then. Okay. To Bay City. Okay. Holy shit! So he, <laughs> he probably rode his deer all the way down on the streetcar or on the logs all the way back down to Bay City, then jumped on a train and then took the. Okay. No took the train down or the horses down to Bay City and then from Bay City did he have his car there in Bay City? No, he didn't have no car then. So how did he get from Bay City back down to Wyandotte? Well, I told you on the streetcar. Oh, on the streetcar. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So then when he got back down to Wyandotte, is that where that photo's taken? Yeah. Okay. So that was everybody from the UP coming back down. And when they got into town, everyone hung their deer up and took the photo. Yeah. Okay. Anybody listening to this too, I will post the photo of everybody standing by their deer taken in 1923. No, on those on that photo, those, you know, they didn't go with him or nothing. No, right. Yeah. But, you know, that's a bar there, you know. Right. Everybody. So this is two months long. How long did he hang out at the bar then and, and look at his deer? <laughs> he might have stayed there a night or two. Hey, was that a big thing? Everybody in town would come and see the deer or be a celebration? Yeah. Kind of a congrat, congratulate the hunters for their successful trip and their long oh, journey? Who had the biggest one probably. <laughs> Same as it is today, just a different setting, huh? And if you look in the picture, uh, most half of those guys got cigars in there. 
and if it, between yeah. the fingers. So yeah, it's a that classic. Cigars, photo. the cigars, a little celebration, maybe a few few beers, and okay. Yeah, so uh, I guess another segue to the next story is: What is your earliest um, memory of hunting? So that that's great, Grandpa, and he's got some good stories going up to the UP. At some point, did he teach you? And yeah, how did Grandpa? Your, your, how did Grandpa introduce it to you? How what, did what? How did Great Grandpa introduce hunting to you? Like, what's your earliest memories of Great Grandpa getting you well, into it? Well, uh, start from the beginning. My dad farmed the garden, and he hauled stuff, uh, vegetables to Detroit Market. And uh, I was probably 10, 12 years old. And uh, he gave me and my brother a row of tomatoes. And he told us that we could have the money off of them for helping him. And the money I got off of my tomatoes, I bought me a new uh, 32 Special Winchester for six, uh, a gun and a box of shells for $69. <laughs> <laughs> and then that, that year, uh, uh, he took me hunting. I, I think I was, I, I think he had to be 14 back then. I can't remember for sure. But I went up with him and another bunch of guys stayed there two, three days. Where, where, did, where did you go to? Uh, Rose City. Rose City. So you were born in 1936, Seven. 37. So if you were 14. I'd be what? 51. That, that's about right. Yeah. So 1951 is your first yeah. hunting memory. Okay. And then um, I stayed with the, that, that. He was hunting with another bunch. There was about 10 of them. And I went up and I could only stay two days and I had to come back. One of the other guys were coming home. But I didn't get nothing. Then the following year, uh, he built a shanty at home in the summertime. Then me and him went up for two weeks. And then that's the year that uh, they had the doses in the last three days. And we stayed there two weeks. And the last two days, the last little the three days, the second day, we got both got a dough. But back then, the doses were... I'm not exaggerating. You could go out in the morning and see at least see at least twenty does go by you, but you're every morning. So the last three days, they slaughtered them. What was that doe season that you talked about? You said that was the year they opened the doe season. How was that different from years prior? Yeah. So that getting back to my timeline. So 1949 is when the population exploded. It was at 1.5 million. So that's why when you go out, you're seeing 20 doe. That's a ton of deer in Upper Michigan. 1952, so the math is lining up perfect. We were just saying 1951 was your first season, and you didn't get anything. And then 1952, the last three days, no permit was required. You could shoot either sex. So that was the first year they did that. It was only north of Highway M20. Where's M20? Uh, you said that before. I can't remember where that 20 uh, is. Anyways, the last three days of the season, no permit, shoot anything you want. And in the history books, it says 95,810 antlerless deer were taken. Um, and it was dubbed the slaughter of 1952. Um, 
after that, there was an uproar. There was all these letters that were sent to Lansing and people complaining. Um, so right after that, they changed the rules and the limits and the licensing uh, because there was such a slaughter of the deer, 95,000 deer in, in three days killed Upper Michigan. So you got one that year? Yeah, we got uh, I You got a doe? One. I got one. My dad both got one. So you, you were part of the 95,800. <laughs> the slaughter of 1952. <laughs> talk, talk, about the, talk about that day that you said when everyone when doe, when doe season opened up those last three days yeah, about the blood yeah yeah well then the, we came home the second day but when we came home we was uh back in the woods about i think 17 miles it was on the main road coming back and there was a few cabins along there and there was hunters and their kids pulling deer out the snow was close to I'd say at least a foot and a half. And they had a path in the snow, and they were pulling so many deer out, the uh, path was completely red, like somebody dumped blood in it. It was unbelievable. Oh, Actually, it was sickening <laughs> to see it, you know, see so many much. deer being yeah. pulled out. Yeah, yeah. And, and Rose City was a pretty big destination for... Rose City was a pretty big destination for hunting. Yeah, there was, yeah, there was a ton of hunters in, in that area. In that area, you know, from uh, I don't know, I'd say from Bay City all the way up to Mile, it was it was crowded, heavily hunted, big time. One other thing I'd like to mention, when I first started hunting with, hunting with my dad, you know, there was no campers or nothing. Everybody stayed in a tent or something. And it was enjoyable. It's unbelievable, but it was enjoyable just to ride up there and look at all the pickups that people made their own camps on the back of a pickup. Mm -hmm. I mean... Everyone that passed you was different. Mm -hmm. It was enjoyable just to ride up there. Hey, Grandpa, tell the story about the makeshift. Um, it wasn't a blind. It was, it was like a tent that great-grandpa made out of plywood. Because you guys, like, froze your butt off one hunting season, and then the well, next one you made some temporary walls, and you took uh, a makeshift yeah, cabin but, up with you, and, and you built it and took it down the it, same year. It was, it was called, uh, I think it was called Masonite. It was a four-by-eight sheets, like a piece of quarter-inch plywood. And it was, uh, four, it was 12 foot long, uh, eight feet wide. And then, you know, we put a canvas over it for, the, for a roof and had a stove in it. And then on, uh, at night, you'd cook. And then in the morning, you would freeze. <laughs> <laughs> and you hunted right out of it. Pardon? You hunted right out of it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we was back to, and, uh, like I said, it was 17 miles back there where we camped out of Rose City. When you're at the light in Rose City, turn left, go out there, 17 miles, that's where we was. But, uh, you know, outside toilet, you guys know what it is mm -hmm. now. <laughs> what kind of stove was that back then that you had to haul all the way out there? It was uh, just a little wood stove. Remember that one that you had? In the, yeah. It's similar yeah. about that size. Okay. Probably about this wide. 
about this long, probably about that high. Did you guys bring wood out there with you? Or did you cut it up out there? Yeah. Yeah. So you built your own hunting camp, essentially. You you made it here, took down the walls, hauled them up there, and yeah. took a screw gun and put it all together and yeah. camped in there and lit a fire with a stove. And you know, we had two bunks in there. Somebody took about maybe two hours to put it up. Every, all the sections were with hinges. Two hinges, you'd pull the pin out, and then when yeah. you put it together, you put the hinge there and put the pin in. It didn't take that long to put it up. And he had made rafters with hinges on them. They went together quick. So how many years did you guys go up there? Like, was that tradition? Uh, okay, so I guess my question was, would that be the start of tradition for you guys to do deer camp every year like that? Like, was that the start of you think, what you think would, or you would consider the first tradition of like starting to do that every year thereafter? Yeah, we did that every year. I don't know, I'd say for probably close to 10 years. And then my dad bought 40 acres by Rose City and built the cabin and we got modernized. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so then you guys would obviously go there, stay, and then just walk out and hunt for the day and come back to the, the new cottage, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that shandy that he made, you know, we hunted maybe quarter of a mile in a circle around that. And, and and how was the hunting at Rose City once you built the cabin? Uh, it was fair. Nothing nothing exciting, but not bad. But you could shoot doe then, too, with a permit at that time. Mm -hmm. You know, send in the drawing. You get a permit. So, Grandpa, talk about when you're going out hunting, the allure uh, or the rarity of seeing a buck, like... Was any buck considered like, you know, like a gem, like a rare thing? No, no. If you if you've seen a nice spiker, you shot it. <laughs> a I nice mean, spiker. I mean, you shot it because if it went by, you were too fast. The next, there were so many hunters. The next guy would have shot it. <laughs> okay. So, so what would you? Can you remember seeing big deer or grandpa seeing big deer or getting like decent sized deer back then, like six, eight? points like oh yeah yeah okay yeah oh yeah i seen a couple of nice eight pointers that you know i couldn't get a shot at right going by yeah okay so that's the 1950s as we're getting into the the 60s and the 70s you kept hunting right was was great grandpa still hunting as he was getting older oh yeah he hunted with the God, you remember that? Um, it was 74, 75. I would say he hunted still because he hunted when I started hunting when I was 15. I got my buck in 74, uh, my first state point. Um, he was still hunting then. So, so I, who, I would say he hunted right up till 76, I'm guessing. I would say, yeah. And yeah. what year was he born? 18... 1836? No. No. 1836? No. 1836? No. 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 No
<laughs> and Just like you, you're in your 80s and you're hunting. And, and what did he wear right up to then, as far as hunting? I said, what did he wear to go hunting? And the that same stuff. <laughs> Long underwear and his old checkered hunting pants and coat. The old wool. There was no orange back then. Did you have orange when you hunted in the 70s? No, no. Just about what Grandpa's got on there, the red and the red and the checkered, black. I wonder what year they introduced orange. I remember what year they changed. I forgot I saw that. So, Dad, what was hunting like in the, the 70s? So, so who taught you to hunt? When did you start hunting? I I learned to hunt from my dad, and we would go up to uh, Hawks by Roger City, and he handed down the 32 special to me to hunt with. And he was hunting, I think, with a, a 30-odd six at that point, um, my dad. Um, but uh, I, I just learned, and back then you couldn't bait. So you, you got your gun, you went out in the morning, and you look for a good deer run. And you're hunting on state land. You're hunting, yeah, we never we couldn't afford. Uh, we had the cabin on the lake, but uh, there was a lot of state ground there, so which you guys know. And we would uh, he would drop me off, and he would go his way, and I would set where I thought there was a good run because I could see the runs going across the road. And as I said, you just sat there in the, in the snow, or or you bought a little pop up seat to set in by a tree, and. Uh, there was no blinds. You, you didn't build a blind. You just sat there. And then if you didn't see nothing, the next day you would try another spot and just sat and hopefully the deer would come running by and you get a shot at them. But I shot my first eight point. I was only probably 50 yards from the road and on a good uh, deer trails crossing the road and seen a lot of deer and got lucky and, and, and got my first buck. But... Uh, Things didn't change till later. Uh, we hunted like that for years, um, just picking a spot and, and no bait and and just getting out there and, and, and hopefully you get a deer. There was there was no such thing as food plots back then. Like Danny said, you know, you checked out the area and you uh, tried to find a good runway and hope nobody beat you there in the morning. And then the hunting stuff I wore too was the hand-me-downs, the old wool. I think I I think it was from Grandpa, one of his outfits. Uh, he had a couple, and that's what I wore too—just the old wool, you know, the old wool hat and the coat and the pants and the spenders. So, wasn't there some story too, whether it was you or great grandpa, going to sit on one of these trails in state land, and somebody would get cold, and they would start a fire right there while they're hunting? Yeah, that was uh, my other grandpa. There, he dropped me off, and uh, I didn't realize it, but he, he when I went up. After I shot my deer, he was up standing next to some big fire with his gun in his hand, and hope that's how he hunted. He would start a fire, and and he he claims he would see deer. So, but anyway, he never got one that that I know of. You need another beer, Grandpa? Yeah, give me one. Yeah, grab another beer. They're way in the bank. But there, there are stories saying the deer are curious when they smell the smoke, and sometimes they'll cold to it. So I don't know if that's true or not. Did great grandpa smoke cigars out when he would hunt? No. No. But I know. Of. No. No. Okay. Well, he never smoked cigars until he'd smoke them when he was went up deer hunting. But 
He never smoked in the woods or nothing. Not in the woods, okay. Thank you. <clears throat> okay, so we're on to the third generation, right? That's right. Chad, or dad's introduction to deer hunting in 1974. Okay. How was the amount, okay, how was the amount of hunters in the 70s? Because you hear about the peak of hunting happening I think it was in the late 80s or the early 90s. And then after that, you see a decline in um, tags after that. So it, it's it, dad is part of the baby boom boomer generation. So it's on the upswing, right? Which is more people hunting, more people hunting. And then 70s and the 80s, it peaks. And then in the 90s, it starts going back down. When you were hunting dad, how many trucks would you see pulled off on the side of the road? Like, I mean, do you see less nowadays as compared to then or more? You, you see hardly any. Um, back then when I hunted, you had to get to your spot. If not, a hunter was going to be sitting there. Yeah. Um, that, and there was there was hunters up and down the road more than I ever seen. And that was in the 70s. And when it, when it did start to decline, I would say it was closer to the late 70s, maybe early 80s. But uh, back when I started hunting in the, in the early 70s, there was hunters everywhere in state ground. Yeah. So um, timeline-wise, you can kind of start to see the decline of people getting out of hunting or it not being as common. Because, like, when you were in high school, Dad, everybody hunted, right? Or a majority of people hunted, would you say? Well, back then, you know, you were, you were lucky to take off a, a, a week uh, to get out of school. Um, and that's what that's what uh, I would do. Dad would take me up there, and I'd take a week off. Um and uh, just stay up there all week and, and try to get one. But but think about our class. How many people hunted in, in high school? There was a, a handful. Like, you could pick out who hunted and definitely who I would say majority of people didn't hunt compared to people 10, who hunted. 10, 20%. Right. Yeah. So the crowds at school were very very low to compare, like, your hunting season to. There wasn't too many of us that hunted. And uh, just compared to, like, when Dad was hunting, a lot more people hunted. And obviously uh grandpa as well so it's just interesting to hear or see that peak kind of come up come up and then in our generation it starts to decline and that goes with the trend that we're seeing nowadays less and less people are are hunting yeah getting back to the deer population so in 1972 which is just before when you started hunting before dad, dad started hunting there was the herd the deer herd was at 500,000 and that's the year they had the first successful deer hunter patch and then the 80s it exploded again so this is kind of like you know the 30s and 40s when it exploded it came down people started hunting now it's taken off again and in 1989 the deer population was back higher than it was in the 40s at 2 million so 1989 deer population peaks at 2 million which i'm guessing probably it was not long after that the population started coming back down and then maybe that's when the hunters the number of hunters start coming back down right and then my next question is that was also in the 80s early 80s i think it was maybe late 70s was the introduction of the compound bow too so your generation not too many people bow hunted right very very few right very few very few and then dad your generation kind of in the 70s and the 80s more would you think that more people started to bow hunt Oh yeah, um, but they were still using the recurve still too, you know. Right, so compound bow. I don't know when that got popular. I think it was the '80s, sometime in the '80s. The compound, the compound bow started to get popularity, and that's when like your your deer season got extended. Because when would your deer season start, Grandpa? 
and for a firearm was it always in november yeah right around november 15th i think always in november 15th but there was one or two years they took and started the deer season across the streets a week before the lower so oh okay you could get two opening days no. We could go across the straits, me and Ray. Yeah. And the last part for the middle of the week, and then come back across the, the lower and catch the opening day. Yeah, my notes say 1925, the deer season date set to November 15th through the 30th. Okay. 1925. 1925. So yeah, as far okay. back as you can remember, yeah. it would have been. That That's interesting. I wonder when Grandpa went in 1923, how the season would have been different. Or if, if there was a season. It would have been longer, yeah. Yeah. Because I'm just thinking with the crops coming off and stuff like that and his travel up there, mm -hmm. how far into November he was hunting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. So, Dad introduces or gets introduced. When did you pick up your first bow? Your compound bow, I should say. Uh, actually, I got that handed down from my dad. He didn't compound no more. Uh, I mean, uh, recurve. I hunted with the recurve for uh, maybe a couple years until it finally snapped and I hung it on the wall. And then by then, I think the compounds were coming into play. And that's when I started buying, the, got, getting into compounds, which I'm thinking in the early 80s, probably my first compound. Early 80s. Did you get anything with that recurve? No, no. A lot of sore arms. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chad, you're older than me. Talk about Dad introducing you to hunting then. And, and take us into that timeline of what it would be then. Oh, man. I just remember Dad leaving to go up hunting, whether it was bow hunting in October or opening, and not being old enough to hunt. And um, I was probably six or seven years old, and I got a small, simple compound bow or barely sticking a straw bale. And uh, Dad would say, get out there and practice, and until you can shoot good, you're not coming up hunting with me. So I remember practicing and practicing with that bow until I knew I'd be old enough and good enough to go up and hunt. But that was, you know, late 80s, early 90s. Um, right. And, you know, dad would be gone hunting and sometimes he'd come back with one. Sometimes he wouldn't. <laughs> and then we have older cousins. So Lee and I are kind of middle of the pack um, on the Kleino side for cousins age wise. And I remember Russ and Chris going up and getting the hunt for gun season before I was old enough. And I'm like, man, I just can't wait till I turn 14 and do my hunter safety course so I can go up to deer camp and experience this time when everybody goes up and then all the stories that come mm -hmm. back that we hear yeah and, and that's also the time where dad kind of transitioned and was getting away from public land hunting and you wanted your own piece of ground right that's that's right i was uh, tired of the state ground and uh i purchased my hunting 40 acres was um 98 was the first first uh, so you were just sick of the the hustle of finding a spot to hunt all the time or what yeah that and, and maybe some of the hunters if sometimes i would i would get because i was hunting next to private which was state ground and those guys that owned the private didn't like people hunting so close to their private 
even though it was state. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you'd get, they kind of get and telling you to get out of there, go somewhere else. Well, I remember you taking us up north with you and we'd be in like, that's when you would invite Jim Bob and them up and Jim Bob had his Bronco and we'd go back to state crown and you would just kind of put Chad and I down on the ground and like a, looking on like an open field or something like that. And you would go off hunting. And then I remember also that like when you started to look for private ground too up there, you would take Chad and I up there and we'd have the plat map out and you'd start driving around and look at properties for sale or things that you heard that were coming for sale. And I remember kind of walking those properties with you and trying to figure out which one you wanted to, to purchase and all that kind of stuff. So Chad and I were part of that process of you getting away from state ground and trying to get yeah. into your own piece of private. So 98, how old would you guys have been? I would have been, well, 12. yeah, I would have been 10. Well, 12. 12. I would have been 12. 14. You would have been 14. Yeah. Okay. Getting back to, yeah, and we did that, trying to find a good piece of ground. Um, and Chuck Rohde was a big part of, of uh, me scoring on my 40 acres. Um, which I'm, I'm glad I got. Um, but before that, uh, Chuck Rohde would let, I, I think Chad remembers, uh, he would let us hunt on his farm uh, and his hunting ground, uh, which was farm ground, woods, and then some of the best hunting, and uh, which was great to hunt on, and, uh, and that's why I wanted to get my own 40 acres. But going back to when I, I think the first uh, guy I took up was, uh, Chad on his first hunt and I think he remembers something by Chuck Rohde and he had one of these little toy type bow and arrows it had practice tips on it and I would put him on a little short stand and I would go down a ways and next thing you know Chad I see Chad running down dad dad I hit one and so we go back to, to where his stand is, and oh yeah, he, he, he hit one, but the arrow was still laying there. It must have just kind of barely stuck in. I said, well, I'll go back up there, and we'll see you get a shot at another one. So I go back in my stand. I'm there about another 20 minutes, and Chad comes running down again. Dad, I hit another one. Well, we couldn't find the arrow this time, so it must have stuck in the high just enough to stick there, and we tracked it, but never found it. But that was some good memories that's of starting your kids out young and just to get them you know used to even though they weren't old enough to hunt uh they got out with a little toy bow and and, and some uh, practice tip arrows and uh did what they could do that was my first memory of hunting i mean i definitely wasn't 14 i was still bow hunt so i must have been maybe 10 years old i had broad heads we were so excited to hunt on chuck roadie's land that was the deer heaven there we got all set up like dad was saying he set me in one spot and then you went further down the wood line mm -hmm. And I think we hunted a morning or an evening and I got out there and I wasn't there 15 minutes and here comes some does, 10 yards, 15 yards broadside. I shot, got all excited, went down and got dead and then came back and the arrow had fell right out. Like you said, it stuck in just a couple inches, but you know, I had only hunted 20 minutes. It was my first time hunting 20 minutes in the stand, shot a doe. He's like, all right, make a better shot this time. And you know, we'll see, we'll get one. So he gets, gets me back up and this is the same hunt that same morning or afternoon, like another 45 minutes or an hour goes by, here comes some more does. And this one is like right underneath me. It must've been like a five yard shot. I'm like, okay, <laughs> got my 25 pound bow. It's gotta be enough to get this one this time. So I shot, um, get down from the stand, go get dad. You shot another one. 
damn, I'm not seeing anything. It's been an hour. I'd shot two deer already. Ten years old. <laughs> we go down, try and track that one. No blood. Couldn't find the arrow. Tracked it, you know, where I had saw it run a good probably quarter mile. And we think it just didn't go in far enough. So you came back that time and you said, all right, no more does. You wait for a buck and then you shoot a buck. <laughs> Chad's, Chad's giving them all a stick in the ass with their uh, with his little, little bow. Um, all right. So that's, go ahead, Grandpa. Tell them about that one where you used his uh, shoulder with the muzzle loader. Mm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> want to tell that story now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell it, Dan. Well, <laughs> I t- another story, I, I think it was Chad, and then Lee was a little young yet, and I took Chad up north, and this was muzzle season. And back then, it was hard for me to get off of work, and we shot up on a Friday. I don't know if, I think muzzle season opened up that day or Saturday. So we, 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 we kind of, uh, we pulled in. We couldn't actually get into the cabin because there was so much snow. I'm guessing there was probably two and a half feet, maybe yeah. more of snow. So yeah, we parked at the road. We parked at the road. We we hauled all of our gear and we got settled in. Is this Grandpa's cabin? Yeah. yeah okay. The, this right. is this is before we had before we had the we had our forty. Okay. And then we got settled in, and then we kind of just went in, uh, on Grandpa's property. He's got five acres right by his cabin on Lake May there, and. Uh, we uh, we trucked out there, and it was tough to getting out there. But we only went maybe a hundred yards from where the cabin was and sat, just sat in the snow, just you know, sat our butts in the snow, and it was getting close to getting dark. And back then you could bait, so we threw a little bait out there, thinking we wouldn't see nothing because we just got there and threw some bait out. And here comes a deer just hopping and jumping because he couldn't walk in the snow because it was so deep jumping all the way up to the bait so t- i told chad i said kneel down and in front of me and I'll, I'll rest my gun on your your back and i'll make a shot well we shot and of course you can't see right away because of the smoke and i thought for sure we hit the deer and next thing you know after the smoke cleared we see the deer hopping back towards the woods so we figured we didn't uh, hit the deer, but actually, once we got out of our hunting spot, we uh, we actually went over there where the bait was, and there was a bunch of hair, and I don't think there was any blood. We tracked the deer again as far as we could because the snow was so deep. But uh, that was another that was another good experience of hunting. Uh, I just with, remember being scared to death because we were facing each other because you wanted me to see behind you and then you were seeing behind me. So I wasn't even looking the direction the deer were coming. The deer came and I could tell by your expression that it was a deer you were going to shoot and I couldn't turn around because it would see me. And dad's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to lean on you. I, I need, I need a rest. I'm like, you're going to blow my eardrum out. You should use it a big, black powder muzzle loader <laughs> i'm like 10 years old using me as a bench rest uh, so then yeah you shot and yeah. never found it but it was, I, I think i think you did do that but you, i i remember you plugging your did ears I, yeah yeah so yeah we shot we never did get to deer but uh it was a lot of fun and just to see a deer come up from putting bait out there that quick and how that deer ever knew that bait was there i have no idea do we know what year bait was allowed? I don't know. I don't can know. you can you remember the earliest time we were allowed to bait? 
quite a while, quite a while ago. It's, Ever since I was hunting, I remember you could be. Yeah. Okay, so we start our own traditions then. Dad buys 40 acres, and so now it's kind of all coming together. It started with great-grandpa, grandpa, dad, and then us. We all kind of put our stake in the ground and start our own tradition. So something that started in 19... 19- 23 and then grandpa getting introduced in the late 40s early 50s and then i guess you know i'm curious your evolution of tradition being passed down what keeps you going out into the woods even into your 80s because you're how old right now 84 you're 84 and you look forward to november 15th every oh, single year wait can't wait for this year <laughs> last year maybe this year will be better <laughs> so do you think is it tradition or is it being in the woods or is it all of it kind of together that kind of drives you to look forward to it every year uh being with your family and friends up there and i don't know just uh sitting in the woods Relax them, keep your fingers crossed the deer comes by. Yeah. But uh, it's just something in your blood. So, Grandpa, what was it like? You know, what Lee and I remember is late 90s, 2000s, we start going up for opening hunting. And at this point, you know, you have um, your nieces or your, your grandkids, your kids up there hunting. So, after the first night or second night of hunting, it's tradition to go over to your cabin and sit in the garage around the fire and tell stories about what we saw that day. And in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, I mean, it, it wouldn't be uncommon to have 15 plus yeah. people in your garage. So you have Lee and I and dad and some of our friends, our uncles, cousins, in-laws, friends of friends. I mean, there was a time where that many people in your garage sitting around talking about stories, that must have felt pretty neat thinking back to the tradition that started in the 20s and what you turned it into with that many people all around having a great time and and memories that we'll never forget. Uh, I guess I've been lucky and I'm I'm glad that uh, my family got uh, into it because it it's something uh, you know you can play golf and all these other things but you get up north and the, just the difference from hunting at home here and up north there's a difference if you actually stop and realize that if you're home here and you hunt uh, well how should I go out tonight I shouldn't be doing this but you go up north you go up there to hunt yeah and you hunt, you know, and then at night you celebrate a little bit and hit it again. The <laughs> Sometimes next celebrate a little too <laughs> too much. But <laughs> well, and then think about grandpa starting that tradition, great grandpa, and then how many people we've introduced to hunting. So you've introduced Pete. Uh, Dad, we introduced John Imo, John Imo and then yeah. John Imo's now got Evan into it. Dad bought his own 40 acres. Bought his own 40 acres. So mm-hmm. if you think of it, you can trace that influence all the way back to great-grandpa. You know what I mean? Like if it wasn't for great-grandpa being that far into it and into our blood, and it's part of our diet, right? All of us eat venison all year long. Oh. So we're always 
you know, it, it's like you said, it's in our blood, it's in our culture, it's everything. And it's, it's going even stronger in our family as we pass it down to the next generation. Just interesting to see that, that you can trace it always all the way back to great grandpa. And that's a great point, Lee. We talk about how much we love it, but as special as it is to us, when we bring friends up, they get hooked as well. And they yeah. go out back yep. home and start their own tradition or buy their own 40 acres. And that mm-hmm. makes it all the more worth it, too, to see them take off and start their own traditions. Well, look at how many the Johnny's bunch and them. Yeah. Uh, there's quite a few. Yeah, they've got a whole bunch. Yeah, they've got a herd over there that, that hunt. And then the other thing I want to bring back full circle well, Chad, getting back to your timeline and the the animals that Grandpa has harvested. So you had deer that was on the brink of not being able to hunt. Not, I wouldn't say extinct, but getting pretty endangered in the state of Michigan. Grandpa's got a lot of those. Grandpa also, back then you talked in your timeline, there was no elk. And then the reintroduction of elk in the early 1900s. Grandpa got drawn for an elk, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got to see the upswing or the benefits of biology and the management of the herd, both from the deer side and also on the elk side, because there's not too many states here in the United States that can hunt elk east of the Mississippi, right? So you think about the state of Michigan and grandpa being able to get drawn and then go out and then you got a nice, what, six by six? Four by five. Four by five, sorry. Four by five elk in the state of Michigan. 300 pounds. 300, which which is a feat in itself just to get drawn in the state of Michigan. I mean, the lottery, if you think about it, I don't know how many tags are given out every year, but there's not many. And it is a complete lottery. It is not a point system. It is complete luck of the draw. And for Grandpa, what? how old were you when you shot that elk? 70, so about 76, I think. 76. 78, somewhere in there. 78. So just that right there to see everything come full swing and just the management of wildlife in the state of Michigan and tradition and everything kind of come back up is kind of kind of cool to see. And black bear. Uh, black bear grandpa got. So it's... It's kind of remarkable to have that in the state of Michigan. I think that's what makes it kind of special living here. I don't think our elk will ever be to the population, or I don't think the DNR will allow it to get to the population where we have, you know, other, anything other than a lottery. But it's kind of special to see that kind of stuff come all the way back from basically almost endangered and now to a, a population that's sustainable and everybody can hunt. So. Yeah. Or at least a shot of hunting. Well, doing my little history search, um, it was interesting to see how the population of white-tailed deer has just gone up and down. You know, a million down to forty thousand, and then two million, and then back down. You know, right now, the deer up where we used to hunt for opening hawks, there we're talking about. It's not like it was when I was younger i mean way down. way down i mean there there was years where all the cousins and uncles we have pictures of probably 12 to 15 deer laying on the stones the rocks right outside your cabin that was 2005 2006 mm-hmm. it wouldn't be uncommon to get that many deer and now not many of us go up there anymore because we don't we don't shoot the deer like we used to and to me that was a little concerning what's going on with the population but if you look at history it's 
it's not that uncommon. You know, they they get overhunted and then they come back, and you got habitat that's changing too, and they'll eventually bounce back. And hopefully, we get back to the point where yeah. all the cousins <clears throat> and nieces and nephews are back up there again for opening. Well, I think the biggest problem is there's so many deer down here and so much bigger. Mm. You know, like we was talking earlier, you know, 30 years ago, there was no deer down here. Mm. There might have been some, but, you know, few people seen them. Right. Or now, yeah, every Tom, Dick, and Harry's hunting. Yeah. And they're getting deer, you know, a lot of them. Dad, you probably seen that too, because I remember taking us hunting back in the day, just behind the house over in Grandpa's woods when he owned yeah. it. Yeah, and that was uh, that was in uh, that was in the eighties. Yeah, that had been eighty six, eighty seven, maybe. Well, then in the nineties, I remember going out there with you. It'd be very rare to see a deer if we saw anything at all. Now, I mean, I own property down here. You own property down here. When we go out, it's we're pretty pissed off if we don't see deer on a night. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's kind of. It has changed significantly over the past 20 years. Oh, yeah. And I think it's just it's getting more, but there's getting a lot of uh, more hunters down here, too. So I think the deer population in, in our area is, is kind of going down a little bit because there is so many hunters uh, here now. I, I, it's my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're at an hour and 10 minutes. I think, uh, Chad, is there anything else on your timeline that you want to go through? Or no, I think we covered it all the way back to the early 1800s. Um, you know, I, I, again, just want to reiterate how special this tradition is to me. And I'm thankful that great-grandpa started it and you passed it on, Grandpa. All these stories are something uh, I love to hear and I hope to pass down to my generation so thank you for that welcome yeah I want to thank my dad too he got me into it and uh, uh, I got my boys into it hopefully Chad will have uh, his boy into it and, and Lee maybe get his, his kids into it so start them out young uh, get them a little little bow and arrow and that's just it's just something even if they go out with you and hunt it's just something for them to experience um seeing deer um and just seeing you know the wildlife that's out there so yeah and think of how many well nieces and granddaughters hunt too yeah. yeah i mean we've got a lot of girls in the family that are hunting and they're just as jazzed and excited and they get sometimes their husbands to watch the kids while they go out and hunt and grandma and grandpa to you know watch the kids when they go out and hunt so it's not just you know the males in the family it's a lot of females as well out there getting just as many deer as the men and uh that's i thought that was kind of cool to see and for someone having two daughters hopefully you know again it's my job to pass that down to them and keep that tradition live uh you know with the girls any closing thoughts grandpa no anything you want to say to the world everybody can hear this in the whole world anything you want to say to them uh, I've been lucky, you know, and I appreciate all my kids, you know, hunting, you know, to keep it going. Yeah. It, uh, it's a big accomplishment in life, mm -hmm. I think. I got one question for you, Grandpa, before we wrap up. What is, uh, at least that, what Lee and I were a part of and, and Dad, what was one of the most special hunts or deer that you remember that we've been a part of? or stories from deer camp 
The one I can remember is the big one he got at oh, the, roadies across the road the that we got. Apple. That's, yeah, the one the apple. Apple. that's the one that's <laughs> out of my mind. <laughs> I'd say that would be the biggest, because that's one of the biggest ones I got. Tell that story real quick. That's a good one. Well, it wasn't much to it. We could bait back down, and I was sitting on my friend's property, and the eight pointer to come out, and down in the first shot, that's all there was to it. <laughs> and I got my grandkids and dad to help me get it in, so it turned out beautiful. But when I rolled up, there was uh, something weird I noticed about the deer. What was going on? Well, I put that in there because... Uh, <laughs> you put what in there? <laughs> apple in there because <laughs> you could bait back then. But, you know, years ago, when we, uh, you know, we used to do a lot of butchering when I was small at home. And these, uh, a lot of times for fun, somebody would stick an apple in the pig's mouth. <laughs> and that's what I thought of because I had apples there for bait. So I stuck an apple in there just so, you know... Something funny to talk about. <laughs> yeah, we got a kick out of that. All right, everybody, you heard it all here. Hopefully that was uh, something that you guys all enjoyed, some traditions, and you can relate to the content. And uh, Yeah, what do you want to say, Grandpa? Go ahead. Uh, uh, Johnny brought the deer home for me that time, mm -hmm. and the apple was there, and he stopped a mile at the DNR to get a patch, and the officer there asked him what he how come that apple was in the mouth? Johnny did not know what to tell him. <laughs> <laughs> tell him that's how the way he died. Uh, so, yeah, so hopefully you guys can relate to that content. Uh, hopefully you learned a little bit about what it was like to hunt in Michigan in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And, uh, yeah, keep the tradition alive. And, uh, you know, as always, thanks for listening.